Welcome to Resolutions, the podcast of the ABA section on dispute resolution. I'm Michael Russell. I'm a mediator in Nashville and one of the hosts of Resolutions podcast. I'm joined today by Robert Margulies. Bob is in private practice in New Jersey where he is both a litigator and a neutral. Uh, Bob is taught at Seton Hall and Rutgers and he will be one of the presenters at the ABA's Dispute Resolution Conference in uh, Minnesota in April. Bob, thanks for joining us. We're delighted to have you. I'm pleased to be here. Bob, just by way of introduction, uh, before we dive into the presentation you have waiting for us in Minneapolis, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself uh, and your practice and how you got involved in the world of dispute resolution. Be happy to. So uh, in 1995, our court system in New Jersey had a program on paper, and they couldn't figure out uh, how to make it work. So they decided to train uh, three people in each county, uh, so 63 people as mediators, and by dumb luck, I was one of them. Uh, I got excited about it after the training, having been a... Uh, a litigator over the years, and uh, uh, I ended up designing the state court <coughs> civil mediation system. Uh, we then created a, a teaching platform because we needed mediators, so we had to teach them. Uh, and uh, we also formed a, uh, an American Inn of Court, the Garibaldi American Inn of Court for ADR. Uh, so got involved in trying to change the culture in our state both in the court system and privately. The uh, the end of court that you have devoted to ADR, I think I think there may be one at Pepperdine, but that's fairly uh, unique, I take it. Well, we were the first one, and we started in about 1998. Pepperdine is uh, two years old, and I think uh, you have one in Tennessee as well. Uh, uh, so uh, it's also brand new. So it took a while to to get the ends of court uh, into it, because that's usually a traditional you know, barrister trial kind of an experience. But uh, we found it's been very successful uh, in uh, bringing together professionals in our community. That's great. You're going, you uh, are going to be one of the presenters at the Dispute Resolution Conference in April. Uh, tell us about your topic. Well, um, it's a topic that I think people uh, should get interested in. Uh, and it really has to do with mediation in cross-border disputes, uh, in, in other words, international disputes. And one might ask themselves, well, why would I care? I'm here in the United States, and uh, when am I going to get an international dispute? This is not for the GEs and Microsofts of the world. Uh, this is not for <clears> – <throat> this is really for – all of those companies, and since we have a global marketplace now, that are small and uh, middle-sized, that are going to do uh, business other places in the world. And in the event that you want to mediate as opposed to arbitrate your dispute, the, the issue is if you arbitrate, there's a mechanism. The New York Convention is a mechanism to enforce if you mediate, you end up with a contract, so there's no mechanism to, to enforce. So we're going to be talking about several different methods that you might want to end up considering putting into your toolbox 
and having available so that uh, uh, you as a mediator can be very much more productive. Bob, many people think about uh, international practice as uh, something that's only relevant for large firm practitioners. Is that is that a fact or is that myth? Well, it, it certainly could be for large firm practitioners, but I, I think if people start thinking about the way the Internet works and the way business is done, you could have a, uh, a, a, a fairly small company that's manufacturing its products in China or uh, in Europe or in uh, uh, someplace else in Asia or in the Caribbean, and you end up with a dispute. You know, uh, you didn't produce quality widgets. You didn't produce enough widgets. You didn't deliver on time. You know, uh, regular kinds of commercial uh, disputes. And the question is, if you are in a position to write a, uh, a mediation clause into your business agreement, uh, that may be a way that you could afford to do business because you probably couldn't afford to do business if you were going to even arbitrate uh, with uh, in an international dispute. And so I think it is saleable once people figure it out. You know, a lot of times when people uh, ask me how I got into dispute resolution as a neutral, uh, the honest answer is I just stumbled into it uh, by accident, and I think that tends to be true of a lot of neutrals. How did how did you find your way into international dispute resolution? Well, you know, I, I, uh, through dumb luck, I took a team from Rutgers Law School about 10, 12 years ago to Paris to the International Chamber of Commerce uh, has a, uh, a, a moot every year in February, and it is Paris, uh, with 65 schools from around the world. And it was, I ended up meeting people, neutrals from all over the world, uh, and educators from all over the world. And I've been going back on uh, almost a yearly basis. And that's when it opened up. So, for instance, in Europe, they have the European Directive. It's going more slowly than in the United States for lots of different reasons. But there are... Uh, there is a focus on around the world of trying to bring mediation to the fore as a preferred device to resolve disputes. So I, I, I got into it uh, by happenstance, as you say, <laughs> the way most of us do. Well, that's true. You know, I, I've been fortunate to mediate um, in different parts of the country, and I've always been struck that that mediation, while it has a common philosophy in practice, uh, it, it's influenced by local customs. Uh, people just do it differently in some parts of the country than they do others. I can only imagine that that's true uh, internationally. Do, do, do other countries and practitioners in other countries look at mediation and experience mediation the same way we do, or do you have to be flexible? Uh, I think you have to be very flexible. You're, you're absolutely correct. I mean, if you think about it, we have a common law system. Uh, most of Europe is a civil law system. Uh, so uh, they don't have discovery. In the United States, it's all about, whether you're arbitration or, or uh, litigation, it's all about uh, discovery. In my jurisdiction, 98.8% of all cases, uh, you know, uh, civil cases are uh, either dismissed or resolved. So one of the things I'm saying these days is, what is alternative dispute resolution? Maybe the courts are. And if that's so, 
where are people going to go other than the OK Corral in order to resolve their disputes? Uh, I, I, I think you are right. It really is all about culture, uh, whether you you know uh, it's local or not. It's all about changing the culture and um, not only getting the lawyers involved, but thinking about getting the businesses involved. I think we've been focusing in the United States too much on lawyers and mediation and not enough on business. Um, if I mediate a dispute uh, and it's a cross-border resolution and there's, uh, there dis- there's a dispute about its Im- implementation, how can I effectively and efficiently enforce that cross-border resolution? Is that a problem? Well, it's a big problem because all you have is a contract claim and another lawsuit uh, because the New York Convention doesn't apply. It only applies to arbitration. So we have a couple ways you can do it now. One way in New Jersey we passed uh, uh, a year ago, May, it was implemented the International uh, Arbitration Conciliation and Mediation Act that allows uh, a an entity in this state, a nonprofit entity in this state, to uh, convene an arbitration, transfer it into a mediation, and uh, have the mediator become, or a second person become, but uh, the way we're doing it is the mediator then puts back on the arbitration hat and enters a consent arbitral award. Therefore, bingo, you have the international convention, the New York Convention, in 159 or so countries around the world to enforce your mediation uh, result through arbitration. The second way is UNCITRAL, which is the United Nations, has just come up with something called the New York, uh, the Singapore Convention, which is about to be initiated uh, very shortly here, that uh, a little differently, but has the opportunity to do the same thing. So those are some of the exciting things that are happening that will allow mediation, I think, culture to change because uh, those of us who have drunk the Kool-Aid, sounds like you may have as well, uh, are believers that this is the better mousetrap to resolve a dispute. It sounds like in the international field, we, we talk a lot in the United States about med or mediation uh, arbitration as a, as, as a hybrid to traditional mediation or tra- traditional arbitration. It sounds like what you're describing in the international field, that the international community may be out ahead of the United States in terms of using med arb as a way to uh, resolve their disputes. Well, what we've designed in our state, and it's available for anybody to use, is really uh, a little different. It's it's arb med arb, uh, you know. So it's a very it's it's a variation, uh, you know, on that uh, on that theme. So uh, 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 hopefully this will uh, catch on. And as I say, the focus should be on small and medium businesses to allow them to be much more comfortable in doing business cross border. Bob, you've got uh, a presentation coming up. You've been nice enough to agree to speak at the ABA's uh, spring conference in in Minnesota. Um, I hope a lot of our listeners make it to hear your full presentation. For those perhaps who can't, what are a a couple of takeaways that you hope people who do attend the presentation will, will walk away with? I hope they'll walk away with an appreciation 
that there is something else that they that mediators can add to their toolbox and uh, I hope we can start thinking about how do we how do we go about the culture change how do we go about um, uh, entering into dialogue with people from other cultures and other countries uh, so that uh, uh, business will move much more smoothly in the future uh, and relationships uh, are, are going to be able to uh, uh, you know to be forged and and continued um, as opposed to uh, what we're used to you know on the other side of the ledger you know litigation arbitration you know an adversarial process so I'm, I, I'm hoping there is a a real takeaway a real wake-up moment for people that's great if if there are neutrals who are listening to our podcast or, or perhaps they come to the conference in, in Minneapolis that are interested in, in looking at, uh, adding an international practice to their repertoire. Uh, how, how would you suggest going about building such a practice? Well, you know, I, I think we all come to a practice, you know, through our own way. I'm not sure that there is an easy way, uh, to do this. Uh, but what we are finding is you can now go to a moot where the students come in and they're all enthused about mediation. And there's one coming up uh, in Sao Paulo. There's another one coming up in January in Goa in uh, India. Uh, the ICC has the as Paris in February. In the summertime, usually there's one in Vienna. I suggest if you're interested, come and participate as a judge or a mediator and, and, and taste the experience. Uh, you know, uh, and I, I think that's the, the the best way of getting excited about it. How much travel is involved? We talk about uh, when you talk about international mediation and dispute resolution. I think a lot of times in our mind's eye, we see you getting on airplanes and flying to exotic places. But I suspect that technology might make that unnecessary in some instances. Can you can you talk about the travel involved and maybe even the the role that technology plays in international dispute resolution? Well, I, I, I think you're right on. Uh, there, there can be travel. Depends, of course, upon the size of the, uh, uh, the dispute. I, I was just asked to uh, do an ICC dispute among two countries, and the the place that they had chosen is Atlanta, Georgia. So, uh, uh, I think as we move forward, much of what I'm envisioning these conventions are going to be used for that are going to be much smaller are going to be uh, through, whether it's through Skype, through WhatsApp, uh, uh, you know, through Zoom, uh, they're, they're, they're going to be uh, electronic and you're not going to be doing as much traveling. Uh, you're going to be doing your, your functionality, uh, you know, uh, essentially uh, in the ether. Hmm. Yeah, I think in the United States, we practitioners, whether you're an advocate or uh, a neutral, um, some of the suspicion that we had early on about mediation has given way to a real appreciation for, for mediation. As you engage in practitioners internationally, how do they view mediation? Well, um, everybody uh, internationally seems to be in the Harvard model, the getting to yes model, the interest-based bargaining model. Um, having said that, 
you have the same thing that we have in the United States. Some people are much more directive and evaluative. Some people are uh, purely facilitative. Some people are in between. You have the transformative. Uh, you're finding that I think a, a lot of the international people have been trained by a uh, company called CETA, the Center for Effective Dispute Resolution out of London. They also train the UN as well. And so a lot of them come out of the English world, uh, and, and they are a little more formal, a little more directive. Uh, they talk the talk of getting to yes, uh, uh, but they're, they're very much more, you know, uh, business oriented. Um, and we have the same issues that we have in the United States of when you have the retired judges as opposed to, uh, the, uh, uh, lawyers who are trained as mediators or uh, non-lawyers that are trained as mediators, uh, you, you have those different styles that you have to deal with. Uh, so I, I think it's just very dependent upon who you choose. Uh, uh, as a uh, uh, as a mediator, well, uh, that that sounds a lot like what the conversation that lawyers have domestically. The choice of the mediator sometimes is very uh, is one of the most important decisions that that you make in a dispute, and it's a decision that you make very early on. Yeah, and and you know, uh, one of the issues in the United States right now is we have so many retired judges who, uh, you know, we're we're not as old as our parents were these ages and uh, you know were looking for you know second or third careers uh, and and deciding that uh, some of them are trained in very good and some of them are just very good anyway and some of them are the same as they were on the bench <laughs> but one they have that they have that uh, judicial moniker to be able to uh, to uh, sell so that, that there's a lot of competition out there uh, in terms of how do you choose a mediator. So it is difficult to distinguish yourself. Indeed. Um, we're about out of time. Any closing thoughts for our listeners about your presentation in Minneapolis? Well, I am just uh, just want to say I'm, I'm really excited and looking forward. To, uh, I love these ABA uh, dispute resolution meetings. I think they are a wonderful opportunity uh, to uh, uh, dialogue with other people, exchange ideas, and hopefully we'll have an interactive session. Fantastic. Well, I know that there are uh, a, a, a much there's a much longer conversation that we could have about this topic, and I look forward to uh, to having it uh, your presentation in, in April. Uh, to all of our listeners, uh, thanks for joining us for Resolutions, the podcast of the ABA section on the dispute resolution. Please join us next time. Uh, Bob, thank you so much for being our guest today, and I hope uh, everyone will consider joining us at our spring conference in Minneapolis. The dates are April 10th to 13th, and information is available on the website at AmericanBar.org. Until next time, I'm Michael Russell for Resolutions.